Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. Today we have Taylor. I think Taylor is the number one name on this podcast so far. I've had three guests of Taylor. <laughs> you guys are all 80s babies oh, wow. or ni- early 90s. Yeah. Um, but Taylor and I's introduction of meeting each other was almost a decade ago now. And it's funny. So I'm going to say it. We were at this dude ranch in Tucson at a wedding. She was a guest. I was the wedding photographer. We're, wash- we're washing our hands. And I'm like, were you on the MTV show Laguna Beach? She's like, yes. I don't know how much you got that. But <laughs> I was the classic person that's like, are you from Laguna Beach? And we met almost a decade ago. And then we're actually neighbors. And I photograph her cute, adorable amazing three little children and so we've been in contact for this long and I have the honor of like watching her progress I took her first maternity pictures when she was pregnant with her first baby Mm -hmm. and now she has three kids and I've you know from afar kind of been watching your progression of motherhood which has been so amazing and that's why I want you on this podcast but first let's have you just do a little introduction then we'll get started yeah. Wow. Thank you. Um, yeah. My name's Taylor. I am from California. Um, my husband and I live in Phoenix now and we have three children, five, a little over three and a half and almost 14 months or 14 months today. Um, and I have a nutrition business. I'm a functional holistic root cause nutritionist helping women feel better, really, um, finding the root causes of energy dysregulation, blood sugar dysregulation, hormone dysregulation, um, all the not fun things that we're all dealing with. I kind of just empower women to understand what's going on and empower them to know what to ask their providers um, and to stand up for themselves. Mm, Amazing. Yeah, we're going to touch on that today with our conversation. We're going to try to touch on a few things. We'll see. We... I really just flow with it, right? Trusting the feminine energy is trusting the flow and trusting that we say and bring up certain topics that we are meant to. And if if we don't say something or don't bring up a topic, we aren't meant to. And that's trust, is trusting the flow. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to try to cover who you've become from your first child to your third because it's been a crazy transformation. Um, a little bit about your business because you – you work intimately with mothers and women in general and their health issues, their energy levels, blood sugar, nervous system. We're going to try to cover Taylor's journey with 
really critically thinking about alcohol in our society. Oh, I love that topic because alcohol is straight up poison and it's so socially acceptable. <laughs> so we're going to geek. Yes. Yeah, we're going to geek out on that. And maybe the trend just dealing with marriage with radically changing into a new person. Like you marry one version of someone and then a lot of times we change into a different person and how does that look? And a lot of women navigate that. So we're going to try to cover a few different things. We'll just see how it goes, but let's start with, let's give a, let's give the audience kind of a, a preview of who were you when you got pregnant with your first baby to who you are with this third baby, like kind of paint the picture. Okay. So with my first baby Tatum, she's five years old. Um, it was before I had gotten into the whole nutrition, holistic health world. Um, I had zero trust in my body, her body, the birth process. Um, I didn't know every, anything. I was the one who filled my, like so many women, filled my registry with all the things that would make me a good mom, right? the best bassinet, the best monitor, the best breast pump, the best swaddles. Like I had to have all the things. I did all the classes. I know how to sleep train this baby. I know all the things, right? And I preached it all on my Instagram. Here's the best passy. Here's the best, all this stuff. I had no trust in her or I. Um, I wanted to be as numb as possible. You could put me to sleep. I didn't care. Get Cut that baby out. I just did not care. Um, and it was fine. I was happy. I, you know, I don't look back on that time as like an unhappy newborn phase. I, I was truly, truly really lucky to enjoy the newborn phase. Um, but I really had no trust in her or me. And I looked to doctors to really dictate every single decision. Um, my second child, I had a little more confidence in motherhood. Um, and I was, you know, kind of learning, the ropes a little bit more and had a little more confidence in myself as a mother, um, but still no, not as much confidence in us as one, right? He and I as one entity and, and our relationship. Um, but he was born in January of 2020. And that's when I feel like I really woke up and I hate to say woke, but like, <laughs> man, like I, I'm like, there's gotta be something else going on. Truly our bodies are smarter than this. Truly there's a, you know, this is a chance to go one of two or three directions. And I chose the trust and, and really figuring out how to make us the healthiest in ways that we can control. So got pregnant a little bit later with our third and he is really, I feel like like a like slingshotted me into who I am today. Um, his birth, I want. I knew exactly what I wanted. I did not want to be touched. I didn't want a needle in me. I didn't want medication. I, I completely trusted my body and him to guide me through that process. Um, and ever since his birth, that rawness, like literally, I feel like I went to another realm to bring him here. He and I went there. We came here together. And I got the most amazing chance to trust him and I, and now I just trust our bodies completely 
um, as long as we support them, they know what's up and they're never doing anything on accident. So now I'm just a totally <laughs> different person than that first baby and that first birth. If I had another one, I'd go to the woods and I wouldn't have, you know, I sold all my baby stuff. I don't, you know, I, I don't want any prop, any, any bassinet, any swaddle, but, um, I don't know if there's a fourth in our future, but yeah, I've just completely changed. And the biggest gift has been trust in my body and my children's bodies. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Do you want to touch on, on medicated births and then your unmedicated birth with your third? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So my first one, um, I remember being so excited because, oh my gosh, my doctor's allowing me to go to 41 weeks. <gasps> That's unheard of, right? Which is ridiculous. But I didn't know that then. I did know enough to be grateful that she let me go to 41. A lot of my friend's doctors were talking about inductions at 39. Um, but she wasn't ready even at 41. It's, you know, we don't all grow babies the same. Flowers don't grow the same. Why would we grow babies the same? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but she still wasn't ready. I was induced and um, went through the rabbit hole of the Pitocin and the peanut ball and the heart rate dropping and the oxygen mask and then the getting fevers and then the swelling of the cervix and the talking of the C-section and over, I think, I forget now, 22 hours of this roller coaster, um, you know, they start talking C-section, the doctor walks in and says, you've got whatever, three pushes to get this baby out. And I remember at the time, oh, the doctor came in, she saved me. She told me I could do it. When really she set up that entire situation, she put me up for that induction a day late, earlier. So no, she's no hero because she put me into that situation. When the baby was not ready, I was so high, she couldn't even sweep membranes if I wanted because it was so high and tight, she kept saying. Anyway, it's so frustrating. But yeah, yeah. you were um, a very classic first time mom, and doctors kind of prey on that. Yeah, the vulnerability. Um, it is, the, it really is that maiden energy. Like, I really love talking about it in that sense because maiden energy and wounded maiden is is wanting that savior of a doctor wanting to be the damsel in distress wanting to be the little princess that gets um saved and you don't want to trust yourself you don't trust yourself but you don't want to like you want that responsibility on someone else and then your third birth is so clearly like you are in full mother energy and you're like this is my body. This is my baby. I'm doing it my way. I trust myself. Your journey so clearly demonstrates that shift. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, second delivery, I went into labor this time, went in at like 10 PM. I was five centimeters. Um, but I, and I asked for the epidural and of course that slowed things down, but I slept all night and at like 7am doctor comes in, baby falls out. Looking back, that baby was probably ready to come out at 1 a.m., but doctor was probably home sleeping and and whatever. But luckily, that came out fine. Um, but come then, that was 2020 when I started doing all of my nutrition education and really learning the foundations of the body and learning how hard it works to keep us healthy and how smart it truly, truly is. And I started really supporting the body um, foundationally and trusting it. And when I got 
third, pregnant with my third again. I told my husband, I'm having this baby at home. And he was, he is like, I mean, total opposite of me. He was like, heck no. Why are we, you know, changing? Don't, don't, don't fix what's not broken. And that was so hard for me to explain to him that it, it, yeah, we have healthy babies, but to me, it was still a broken process. Um, but we compromised and I ended up having him, uh, our third with a midwife in a hospital, but truly with a midwife who totally trusted the process. She literally just sat there the entire time. She advocated for me. I didn't even have, a, I didn't have a hospital gown on, no, no needles in my arms. I had a doula. I was in a bath. Um, I remember when the baby came out, she was showing, she was so excited about the placenta. She was showing it to me. She's like, this is where your baby lived. And she was moving it around. And Kevin was as far away. He was like, what? Why are we doing this? But I was up watching them with the baby. It was just, it was the most, I'll never, ever, ever, ever be the same in, in the best way because of that experience. Oh my gosh. So what would you tell, oof, what would you tell first time moms or women that aren't pregnant? <laughs> after going through all of that. Oh my, oh my gosh. I worry about this so much. Like with my own children, having babies, like Tatum, my daughter, I feel like I, I can kind of control cause she's my daughter. Right. But I have two sons who are going to marry women who I don't know, or, or, you know, maybe they'll marry men, but if they marry women and they have, and they have babies, I have no control over those people. They have their own mothers, their own. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, what if they, you know, I don't know how I'm going to change their minds, but oh, I would just, I think we have such a responsibility from a very, very young age as women to teach our children, our, our, our boys and our girls to trust their bodies, to support their bodies foundationally, to be excited about their hormones and their cycles and their moons. And, 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 you know, boys should understand everything about the woman's cycle and vice versa. And really, you know, when my kids get sick, I start to say, your body's expressing health. Oh my gosh, look at this. We've got to, you know, oh great, this here comes snot and this is what this is doing and let's support it. Let's, let's, let's let that flow and really getting them excited about these symptoms um, and trying to watch my wording around it and not instill fear in them around the things that their bodies are doing that society have told us are, you know, a little bit maybe bad, but really supporting and be excited about that stuff is kind of all I can do because I can't control everybody that they're going to come in contact with. Yeah. Something that I say and see a lot is it's so sad that young boys and girls are exposed to porn at such young ages and that's their introduction to bodies, but it should be birth. Yeah. Like it should yeah. be home birth. It should be honestly period blood. Um, what, what middle-aged like 20 year old guy has seen period blood really oh my gosh my boys oh yeah every time i mean oh and tatum like i <laughs> yep i use a menstrual cup and i am like look at like, this is coming out of mommy and we are like excited i am not hiding that stuff my, yeah nope they're gonna know all about yeah, it <laughs> and talking about it with your kids in such an amazing way like i i love bleeding that's my superpower. Mm -hmm. I get to bleed every month and mm -hmm. I'm in awe of it. I love mm -hmm. it. Just like your midwife with your placenta was like, oh my gosh, this placenta is amazing. You're That's how I feel about my blood. And it's so amazing to be a mother and talking about your blood in that way to revere it. 
It's a sign of fertility. Oh, it's a sign of health. To have your period is a sign of health. And I just can't. I When I'm talking to a woman that's complaining about her cycle or her blood or saying like, oh, I'm a woman and I bleed. I, I'm like, we're on two different planets. Like we speak alien. I'm speaking alien. I just, I love everything my body does and I'm going to love it and respect it because it's for me every single day. It's doing a million processes for me every single day. Yeah. So many processes, so many things to just keep us, you know, one foot in front of the other. So I'm very careful about what I say about what my body's doing or how I'm feeling. Um, and I'm also really open about it to my kids and that's all that I can do. These are the only little humans I can control. And then they go out into the world and then they, you know, their fingerprints are put out there. So I really am watching my words with them. Yeah. So let's speak on your health journey. That was your birth journey. Let's speak on your health journey and nutrition, nourishing yourself, and then maybe segueing into what you see with your clients, women, and what they're dealing with nowadays, their low energy, all of that, and some simple steps of nourishing yourself, baby steps. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was born without a thyroid um, and no one ever really explained to me what that, the importance of that and what that means for me, what that would have meant for me had they not figured that out within the first few days of life. Um, what that means to be on medication every day, the, you know, what that does to your liver, the ingredients in those um, medications. And that paired with 2020, um, it just really kind of opened me up. And, you know, why have people not talked to me about this? And then plus my deliveries and knowing that, you know, I've got some more trust in my body and some more knowledge. It just kind of really catapulted me into what I'm doing today, but my personal health journey has really, really been most interested in motherhood is wild. Like there is not a moment off. Whether, even if you're sitting on your couch after bedtime, your mother load, mental load is still thinking about that missing gray soft, your son's favorite dinosaur, show and tell on Friday, snack week next week, you know, Halloween costumes, birthday. It is wild. So really supporting that stress that we can't remove is so, 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 so important. And those come down to those foundations of, of health, which are diet, hydration, digestion, mineral balance, fatty acid balance, sleep. We, those are the things we can control. So working steadfast to understand those and support those are just little ways that I show up for myself every day. And those don't mean going away for a spa day or you know, all these fancy schmancy, you know, expensive things. This just means meaning I have protein on my plate and just making sure I have something on my plate. Like literally that's what I see so common with clients is these moms that are just momorexic and don't even mean to be because we're running on cortisol because we get up because the kid's crying and we're straight into the kid's stuff all day long and or work stuff. So our body thinks we're running from, lion, running from lions, tigers, and bears, which means we're running up cortisol, which means it's not going to let you slow down to poop or eat. We're no longer happy, healthy, and horny. We're just stressed out beings running from point A to point B and not, not taking care of ourselves and not even meaning to. Mama self-care of, oh, go to the spa type of talking in our society doesn't 
help in my opinion because real self-care is nourishing yourself in the little ways you do every day and you teach your clients. Mm -hmm. So what are some Mm -hmm. real, real self-care ways that mothers and women can incorporate in their day? So I'll just tell you what I do. Um, I wake up in the morning and I make sure I don't look at my phone. I'm not talking, I don't get a text from my family. I don't check the email. I'm not checking Instagram. I'm not looking at what the weather looks like for the first hour. Nothing. I am so protective of my headspace in that first hour and this precious, precious moments of my kids waking up. I don't want to also know that somebody is in Cancun or, you know, Europe on a European vacay on Instagram. That is irrelevant. My kids deserve, you know, my, my undivided attention, but also I deserve that sweet, sweet moment in order to recognize how precious that time is. And you can't do that if you've got the outside disturbances in. So I keep away from my phone. Ideally, I get, even if it's five minutes before somebody is talking to me and needing something from me just to wash my face. Um, I, I'm, I'm not drinking caffeine. I felt like that was um, the equivalent to drinking like a pre-workout. If you need a pre-workout to work out, don't work out. I felt like caffeine was giving me this false go, 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 and disconnecting my ability to listen to my body. If I'm tired that morning, getting really comfortable with not feeling 100% and letting my ego be okay with that um, has been a really big journey for me in the past few months. So I'm off caffeine, but I am making sure that I'm getting a really high protein breakfast. And if that's even blending up some (laughs) egg yolks with some raw milk and some protein powder. That's great. Ideally it's a little bit more bulky, you know, some more calories and that just um, depends on my morning, but I'm definitely getting something in my stomach that's high in protein and um, then it's off to the races, but I'm getting as much fresh air as I can. I am at night before bed, staying off my phone two hours before I want my eyes closed. So I'm putting it back away. It's on airplane mode. Um, and I'm reading something on paper before bed that is boring because if it's a good novel, you're going to, I can't put this down. And then you end up reading more and more and more and more. It has to be boring self-help, something that's going to put you to sleep. And that's, those are the ways I can show up for myself right now in this season of life. Yeah. A lot of people in general don't understand that if they're watching a high intensity show, they're ramping up their nervous system at 8 PM at night. You know, if it's like the CIA show or some people love murder mystery things, you're ramping up your nervous system. You're inducing stress hormones at 8 p.m. at night and then expecting your body to somehow sleep, somehow calm down when you chose to ramp it up. So your power is in what you read, what you watch, what you do. That's where your power is. So if you're complaining about not sleeping well, Are you ramping up your nervous system at 8 p.m., at 9 p.m. at night, and then expecting your body to be sleepy? You're working against your body. And that's a lot of women. Yeah. I keep just going back to basics. When they were living in villages, I don't think they were typically watching women fight on TV right before bed. You know, like Real Housewives. Yeah, I love it. During the day, if I could sneak it in on like a Saturday during nap time, I'm not above it. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. But um, 
I'm not watching at 8 p.m. in bed. Yeah. And I think actually that's a really good practice that women can start is if you if you fall onto the couch or in your bed, relaxed, and then you start watching a show, can you be with your sensations in your body and notice when they start ramping up? Can you notice that you were belly breathing down in your belly? And then once you started watching the show, now you're like tight, you're hardly breathing. It's, it's chest breathing and it's very mm-hmm. short and shallow and you get butterflies. That is dysregulation. And witnessing the sensations in your body and being with them and learning, you know, this is, this is kind of base one body relationship stuff, but it's stuff we weren't taught. (laughs) So we're in our thirties realizing, oh, when I watch this show, it ramps up my nervous system and I start like hardly breathing. And that's what dysregulation is. And we're in our thirties learning this because, you know, we weren't taught this because it wasn't really on the map. Now it's on the map. We're learning it. And this is how we can all be more peaceful, calm humans, and especially mothers, because mothers Mm -hmm. are triggered a hundred times in a day by so many different Mm -hmm. things with their children. You know, children can trigger a mother, wow, right? In 200 different ways in a day. What about speaking to when you're triggered as a mom or what each child maybe triggers in you and how you handle it and that growth with that? Yeah, so they each trigger you differently. They each are a chance to literally every moment of the day they trigger you. It's a chance to do one of two things. Be better, learn from it, or not. Um, and recognize why is this triggering for me? Is this meltdown triggering for me in public because I'm embarrassed because they're not listening to me? Is this my, is this an ego thing? Is this that I want them to follow my rules right now because everybody is watching? Um, our middle went through a phase of fighting of of really I you know I, I was worried about him around other kids and I truly now think that he was calling out our weaknesses. I think, you know, we wanted him to fit into a certain box that his older sister is very good at. Um, And he was like, no, in fact, I'm going to do this because you guys are, you know, not paying attention to me or your, your heads are in your phones or you're too go, go, go. You're not slowing down enough. And he was literally calling out our bullshit. Whereas our older one, I'm actually now, don't even care. Not that I don't care when he does those things, but I'm more worried about the one the older one who knows how to adapt and who, and, 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 um, people pleasing because she's not calling out our stuff. And that's actually more troubling to me than the one who's quote unquote acting out. Um, our third had his first year and still was the most humbling experience with his eczema and that was the most triggering thing for me. I feel like, unfortunately, even with all that I know, uh, I didn't enjoy his first year of life because how can my child, with all that I know, and you know, no medication during birth, he's never been pricked with anything. He's the one with eczema. And I believe it was here to teach me something. 
Um, I'm still unveiling what that is, but that is just furthering my trust. Whereas it could have pushed me down to untrust, you know, being afraid. I'm now learning to understand I cannot control that eczema. I literally, there's nothing I can do. That is his journey and I have to accept it. And the second that I stopped giving it all of my energy, it has started to get better. It it just, it's, it's been an incredibly humbling experience and now I'm grateful for it. But (laughs) the first year it was, it was really, really triggering for me. Yeah. There's this quote that says the timing it takes to heal or the, the length of time with a symptom is often just as much the medicine as the symptom itself. Because say his eczema only lasted a month. How would that have changed you? How would that have triggered you, right? Because you would have, you would have, um, if it was only a month, you would have, you know, done all the supplements or whatever and been like, ah, change his diet and his eczema is done and I fixed it and I did it. Uh And now that it lasted more than a year, it humbled you and you, and you are actually seeing the truth of life that you have very little control in some circumstances. You have, you have control over, you know, what TV shows on in your house and what foods in the cupboards and how you speak to your child, but you don't have control over how they're expressing health. It's an ego humbling. And I, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I, I mentioned to you when we spoke, you know, some other time that I went to that spiritual healer and the astrologer and and they know that in his past life, he experienced abandonment and I'm learning the connection between separation, anxiety, and, and eczema. And in all that baby just wants to be near me. And that is the most beautiful, but also humbling, scary thing, because we don't live in a society that, that for most of us says, okay, just carry your baby around all the time. We don't live in a society that supports that. And now we're wondering why these kids are having these outwardly expressions of results of this separation. Yeah. A baby needs three things, you know, food from you, attunement and touch. You know, it's quite simple. And our society makes it so complicated because most people have a baby to fit into their lifestyle. And this pursuit is quite selfish, right? Hey, I want a baby. I do. I want this baby. And this baby is going to fit into my life, my daily life. Babies don't work like that. Toddlers don't work like that. And that's why motherhood is the most humbling experience. It's a spiritual journey if you let it be. Because then you have that baby and they conform for maybe a few months because they're tiny. They're just sleeping all the time. And then, boom, their ego gets online their personality gets online and it's this ego war between parent and child. Who's going to have the control today? Who's going to have the power today? And then all of the suffering in like motherhood comes in. And that's when we get the mothers in victimhood. My child is doing this to me and my child won't do that. And it's this victimhood, this complaining where the mother is just struggling But ultimately, I think it's because this child, that is their own essence. It's their, they are their own person isn't fitting into your day, into your life the way you want. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and that, that kind of ties into my, the whole alcohol journey is I just was trying to fit two things together that did not make sense for me anymore. I was trying to be the fun tailor that my husband married that, you know, okay, I'm the mom, I'm the cool mom, but I also like a really fun wife and, you know, oh, t- you know, fun to go out with trying to be two people and it just no longer worked for me. And I decided to quit alcohol, do a year long journey. Um, and now with the hindsight, I'm like, it makes me so sad how hard I made the, that journey because I was trying to be, you know, be two people when really they just are not supportive of alcohol, just not supportive of being a mom. Um, plus it, it, alcohol really speeds it all up. You're spending a lot of time foggy or looking forward to happy hour or looking forward rather than looking within or waking up early and being so, so present. And, um, I think the rawness of Olson's delivery, I've just started to like shed layers. I don't need caffeine to help me go. And I don't need the alcohol to be fun or social or like, let go of my social anxiety. I just want to feel this life. So, so, raw and real the way we're supposed to. Yeah. So you're probably really leaning into discomfort because the thing with our society Mm -hmm. is we don't let ourselves feel uncomfortable, which is why most people drink. You get to a social setting and you are maybe the fish out of water. You don't know many people. And so you have to have a drink to feel comfortable. But what if you leaned into the discomfort that's where growth is. That's where lessons are. And that's where I live. But people, everyone doesn't have to live like that. That's, but the, I know that's where me and you live. It's like this discomfort, what is this? And, and curiosity with it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I want, I want to hear a little more about your alcohol journey. Like what really kickstarted it? What really kickstarted it was, to be honest, a hangover. <laughs> I woke up one morning and was like, I am never doing this again. It was December 30th. Um, and I went out with friends and I was already a little bit sick and went out anyway. And again, you know, I, I didn't have a rock bottom. I wasn't a huge, 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 huge drinker, but a couple of times a week or on the weekends, definitely. And then, you know, sometimes I would have more than I intended to. And that was one of those nights. And I woke up more sick than I was the day before with three young kids. And I was like, this is just, alcohol is just not what it is marketed to be. Um, and it's not worth it anymore to me at all. Um, these little babies deserve all of me, 100% of me. There are people in this world dying dying to have children and I have them and I'm hung over and, and just feel like crap around them. I just, it doesn't, didn't align with, with me anymore. I was getting more and more anxiety, even after like a glass of wine, just one the night before the next morning, I just didn't feel right. And then not feeling right gave me anxiety. And I'm very, very lucky that I, in that same year, I was starting to listen to my body and I was like, my body's telling me don't give that crap to me anymore. I don't want it. If you keep doing this, I'm going to keep yelling at you. And um, the next day I woke up, put it out on Instagram to my following. I'm going off booze free 2023. Who's in? 
without even telling my husband, which I wouldn't recommend. If I could go back, I would have a convo with him. But selfishly and in my own journey, this is my own journey, I wanted the accountability of that following, of making this statement. That was my own thing. Um, and that is getting uncomfortable, uh, comfortable with the uncomfortable because I am not someone who's comfortable making well, maybe I'm a little more after three kids, but I'm not typically comfortable with making these huge statements or being the forefront of change or really forcing to think, you know, people to think outside the box. It's not really my wheelhouse. I'm not, I, I, I'll talk to you about it and I'll support you through it if you come to me. But me really spearheading this for myself and my family has been really uncomfortable, but that means I'm doing something right. Yeah, the discomfort or the fear is asking you to walk through it if you want. Yeah. Like, this is all free will. And, yeah. yeah, that's why I love it. Um, Hold on one second. I had a thought on alcohol. Oh, I don't really drink anymore. I have a glass of wine here and there because I've always viewed it as what it is. It's poison. It's literally poison. Yeah. And, even like, more than a decade ago, I would even – I would have these thoughts like, what are humans doing where they're healthy and they're feeling good and then they, they drink a lot of alcohol and then they wake up the next day sick. So they make themselves sick. So if we really want to be healthy and then wake up with the flu, we're like, oh no, I have the flu and you're mad. But you do that to yourself with alcohol. And how does that make mm -hmm. sense? So we actually don't want to feel good. Because we purposely make ourselves have a hangover or purposely make ourselves have anxiety. So that's, to me, self-sabotage <laughs> in a very exactly. acceptable way. And it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But it also points to this instant gratification. Because you drink alcohol, you have fun for three hours maybe. And that instant gratification of laughing a lot and having fun. And then for the, ha for the next 24 hours, feeling gross. That makes sense to me in the ego, for the ego standpoint, because the ego is the short-term self. It says, I, I want no pain. I don't want discomfort. I want everything to be easy. I want everything to be fast. Instant gratification is the name of the game with the ego. So you know, the ego wants fast food and junk food. But how meaningful of a life will you have if you make all of these life choices and are led by the ego all the time? I'm not saying be perfect. I'm not saying never choose from your ego because that's impossible. We're human with the ego. But how valuable of a life, how meaningful of a life can you have if you're always operating from ego saying, I want painless, fast, easy, instant gratification? I feel that so deeply. I also feel so, so lucky that throughout this year, how cool that I know how to de-stress on my own accord. Yeah. I'm not looking to something yeah. else. I'm not looking to a poison. That's exactly what it is. There's no glassing over. It's a toxic, toxic poison that does literally nothing good for you. I'm not looking to that anymore to, to, to relieve my stress or to have fun. I found that within. Yep. How incredibly powering. I tell my best friend who's on this journey with me, I'm like, I feel like it's my superpower. Like I know how to relieve my stress and decompress after a crazy ass day with three young kids without poison. And then I get to wake up tomorrow morning feeling 100% and knowing that I'm gonna feel 100% tomorrow. 
it's, it's so, so empowering and I want it for everybody. And that's probably the hardest part of this journey is knowing that most people will never experience this because we live in a society that does not want us to. They have us exactly where they want us. We went through a crazy pandemic, whatever your beliefs on that was. How did we believe that there was a quick fix over and nothing was talked about? And maybe you guys should probably pull back on the alcohol because that's doing nothing for your immune systems. That was literally never said once. It, it, it's it, that. I, thank God I'm as stubborn as I am because I woke up to that and I was like, Heck no, I'm not falling for that anymore. I am doing all that I can. Yeah, gyms were closed and alcohol stores were open. Right, right. Oh, not only were they open, people were doing to go from, you could drive home with pictures of, of alcohol from restaurants to go, but you couldn't go to the gym. That's all, that's all you needed to know. For me, that's all I needed to know. Yeah. Like Alcohol's Anonymous meetings were canceled or put on Zoom but you could go to the store and buy alcohol. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. with your alcohol journey, I know it's also the journey that has allowed you to slow down in motherhood because most mm-hmm. women, oof, they don't, they haven't dealt with their past pain or past trauma and they run from it. And motherhood's very confronting. Motherhood brings you those opportunities to heal. That's literally the point is it's a spiritual walk and motherhood brings you opportunities almost every day to say, are you ready to heal this? Are you ready to heal this? And it happens in pregnancy, birth, postpartum, parenthood. So, but in our society, women have all this pain and this trauma and it's so uncomfortable to feel, hence alcohol, sugar, junk food, anorexia, not eating, not even anorexia, just not eating. And like at having it like a badge of honor, like, oh, I didn't eat today. You know, like I'm so busy, the, ba- the badge of honor, busy. So women are running on E. They are busy, busy, busy. Busy is a badge of honor. They're running on fumes. They're running on stress hormones, literally. Adrenaline and cortisol. If you don't eat, that is the hormones running your body. So you're running on stress hormones, not eating, and scrolling the phone, online bullying, trolling, trolling comment sections. That is a huge one where women fill their time with trolling comment sections to get that hit of cortisol and adrenaline. I see this all the time. It is the thing like grab your popcorn, look at these comment sections because everyone's so afraid to slow down and everyone's so afraid to feel peace. Yeah, because what happens when you slow down? You start to feel peaceful or other things start to come up that you now have to deal with. It's Um, confronting. I'm reading reading a book called Dopamine Nation and that has to do with part of what I'm doing with the alcohol and the no caffeine. It's just resetting my dopamine levels Um, We live in a society that wants that quick hit and we are becoming numb to the simple joys of your, of your children waking up in the morning or, or a flower or the sunshine. We don't see that stuff anymore because we want the Amazon prime delivery same day. And we want the alcohol that can give us that 15 minute buzz. And we want the, you know, high dopamine release foods that are literally 
made to be addictive and to cause dopamine release. So you want more and more. So I am on an active, active hunt to reset my dopamine so that I'm just simply happier, easily, more easily. It's, it's really that going back to simple, simple basics. Um, but it's hard work. It's hard work. And it's, and it's also not socially acceptable to go to the soccer game. It's more socially acceptable to show up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm so slow. I drank too much last night. Then to be like, really? I feel amazing. I feel 100% because I stood up for myself last night. I got a great sleep. I can't say those things. Then I'm the odd. I'm the weirdo. But the other ones who feel like crap, totally normal. Complain about all you want. We're way more comfortable there. Yeah, because what do you get in the complaining, right? You are seen mm. and heard in your struggle. And adults are just like little toddlers saying, do you see me? Do you hear me? That's all we're doing. That's all we're doing when we're complaining about our husband, complaining about our child, complaining about this symptom I have in my body. Do you see me? Do you hear me? We are little children inside begging for attention, for attunement, for love. With parents, it's the need the need to be heard with, with parents because if a child will not listen to you, you, you can't make them do anything, really. <laughs> but if they won't listen to you, it really hits that core wound of, I'm not heard. And, and a parent's trigger of, I'm not heard, is usually hit every day. It hits that core, core wound. Core wounds are, am I seen? Am I heard? But the actual funny part of that is, Sometimes if I ask a woman, hey, will you be on my podcast? I'm literally giving them an opportunity to be seen and heard. And they're like, no, 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 no. I can't be seen and heard. So to me, it's just, it's a dichotomy. It's so funny. It's so true. It's just, it all comes full circle. And the point you made about waking up at 36 and, and now deciding to stand up for myself and question stuff and pull back the layers and, um, you know, we're, I'm in therapy for the first time, which has been so amazing. And I'm like, can I put my kids in therapy now? Like how, you know, when, did, when can we, when can we start this? Just to like get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's the number, number one thing I'm taking away from this. So thank you for <laughs> this therapy session. Cause I'm realizing that that is the theme of my year this year. And, and having children. What do you want to speak on with therapy? Because I could so geek out on therapy. My husband and I went to therapy maybe eight or nine years ago, and it was life-changing because you see the dynamic of why you are attracted to each other so perfectly. Like his childhood stuff and my childhood stuff created this positive negative charge of this battery. We just went together perfectly. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, have you ever had a friend where, or someone you knew where things just didn't really, you know, you notice some things about them or, or you loved them, but they had their quirks or, or whatever. Then you go home and you see their hometown and you walk into their home, you meet their family and you're like, oh, I get it. Like I get you now. I literally felt like that about myself. And we've only been to one session. Like I, I left there for the first time ever feeling like somebody 
heard me and understood me and could explain things to me, you know, and I went, I went in there thinking they were going to just go right to our issues. And no, really, they just talked about us separately and childhood separately and connected so many dots for me that I left thinking, just having so much hope and saying, we're going to be okay. Cause now I'm going to understand me. <laughs> that makes any sense. Like I just, it was, it was so empowering. And she said a quote that I'll never, ever, ever forget. And she kept pointing to it, it was on her wall because I was crying, which felt really, really, really good by the way. And she kept saying, if you're hysterical, it's historical. And I just, yeah. And I, I realized that the things, the little issues that we have are so connected to the past. And I'm just, I feel so lucky to, to unveil all of that and to keep chipping away at that. And, and my friend said, it, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's going to get worse before it gets better because things come to the surface. And I'm in this season of being so raw and I think a lot of relationships rely on alcohol. Um, I don't say rely, but it's a big factor. And we're pulling that away from our relationship. So we don't gloss over things anymore. We're not going out and being like, oh, I'm going to have that glass of wine and just not bring it up because now I'm feeling a good buzz. And now, you know, I don't want to talk about those things. There's no escape. We're like head on in this stuff. Um, and I'm excited about it. Yeah. What do you want to speak on with you completely changing while being married to a man that is meeting a new version of you, which I mean, to go through motherhood and not change pretty rare, but because the initiation can be pretty deep, but I think you can speak to a lot of women and their marriages with a lot of change. Yeah. So I, I get now why parents are so nervous when their kids get married. How at 25, 26, 27, 28, can you know who you're going to become at, you know, during this 35, 40 year old shift, right? You just have to hope and pray and you're literally hanging on hoping that we get through, you know, we ride this out and the foundations have to be there of the respect, um, literally respect. We're learning how to communicate. You can learn those things, but the respect has to be there. If it's not, then I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I, motherhood changes you. You become a completely different person, but the, the, the other partner, the husband doesn't experience that radical change. They, they, their life really doesn't change except for the day-to-day -day responsibilities, right? They don't have that made into motherhood voyage. Um, so it takes a lot of patience and a lot of work and a lot of communication. And then on top of that, I'm now a radically different person in terms of what I believe in, um, who I believe. And yeah, I mean, finally, thank God for therapy because we're learning how to, we're learning a new language. Yeah. Cause there's something to be said about when you're married, it's two separate people living a life together and and everyone has their own journey, their own time. Your husband might might never might never see your point of view on something, and mine either. But it's because he's his own sovereign being, and we can't control their path and their journey, just like they can't control ours. And the the thing my husband has always given me was complete acceptance. He's never tried to change me, 
I was vegan for 10 years and he never tried to change me, even though he knew all the health, health foundations of paleo and everything. He never tried to change me. And it took me a decade to change myself. Now I eat paleo, you know, I eat all the meat and everything. I woke up from that delusion and he was there as like a steady rock the whole time being like, you can do your thing and I'm here. And the whole time I was trying to change him to be vegan. And it took me this long to be like, oh, he's giving me 100% acceptance. Like that's our dynamic is, is I'm the one trying to control and change him because I have more of the dynamic of, you know, wanting to mother him. Ugh, that's a whole other tangent. And, you know, with. But what about, I mean, that says something huge about his ego is that he was able just to let you be, let you do your own research in your own time, you know, and I don't even know if he was thinking you'd come around or not, but what an amazing thing about his ego that he was allowing you be you and didn't feel affected by it or attacked by it or like he wanted to change you. Yeah. And that's where lessons are in marriage, you know, or even religion. I know couples that, you know, one, one cup, one person finds religion or falls out of religion and the other partner isn't on the same page. And that's a huge piece of stress, but it's, can you allow each other to have their, your own journey while respecting them it's hard the respect part is huge and so so if you just go to basics literally strip all that away the foundation is respect and i don't even know love just like definite respect and 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 doing your own work to be able to hear something something that doesn't align with how you think and then how you react to that that's where all the work is yes but I do think it points to that most of us are modeled conditional love. It's you, if you can agree with me, if you can see my point of view, if you can live life like me, oh, that now you're easy to love. And that's conditional love. Mm -hmm. well, and that goes back. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to childhood. That goes back to the very basics. If you eat all your food, I'll give yep. you this. That's yep. conditional. If you wear this outfit for me, all will be good. If you do this, it's, it's parent-child dynamics. It's if you do this thing that I want you to, then I will show up in love or attention or touch. Then I will meet your needs. If you do this thing, if you do this need for me, I'll meet your need. And then that carries into marriage where that's what I was confronted with. My husband's gift is grace. Like his, like his human design number one gift is grace. That's his, that's who his soul is. Mine <laughs> is not grace. So when he's being different than what I want him to be, it's confronting. It's, and I'm like, oh, when I become a parent, this is how it's going to be. If you're not acting the way I want you to, can I still give you love? Ooh, man, that is tough, 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 tough. We had a rough, rough week about 10 days ago and thank God for my best friend. She was like, you need to be kind. I was like, what? <laughs> you do love him, right? Yes. Okay. You can be nice to him. Doesn't mean you're not mad. Doesn't mean you've given up. Doesn't mean you're, you know, you're not, you know, 
letting him walk all over you, but you can still be nice to him and and you don't, you know, you don't have to what who wins when you walking around with silent treatment and being mean? Nobody. It was uh, such a big lesson. Yeah, and then the silent treatment thing, that was my poison because that's what I was shown in childhood. Like my pivotal memories, a few pivotal memories. I had an amazing childhood. I really did. But obviously my parents aren't perfect. And some pivotal memories I have is I was tantruming and crying and they ignored me. And so I learned, oh, when someone, you know, is doing something distressing or I feel distressed, you just shut them off. You stonewall. You silent treatment. Oh, but that is a deep poison because that's manipulation. It's if I pull my, if I pull my love away, if I give him the cold shoulder, then I can manipulate him into acting different. We do, we do all of this. Yeah. It's all learned. It's, and it's all manipulation. We're all like emotionally manipulative without actually realizing it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's been my long journey. And now I'm, I've gotten to the point of narrating. I want to give you the silent treatment because I feel X, Y, Z. My ego, it's my ego. My ego wants to ignore you because it's X, Y, Z. And like, how much could we change in our day if we could just narrate to our spouses. Right. Oh, when you, when you did this, my ego communicated as X, Y, Z. It took offense and not even owning it. Like you don't have to own it. You don't have to say I was offended. You could be like, my ego was so offended that you rolled your eyes. It's so basic. It's so basic and it's so simple, but this is what you learn. In my opinion, once you go to marriage therapy and you start learning the basics of attunement, the basics of nonverbal communication and the impact of nonverbal communication, the eye roll, that a fight could start from an eye roll. And then one person's like, I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything, but you eye rolled. And we're all reading the room. And the gaslighting. We're all reading the room and it, and Mm -hmm. it pertains to parent child as well, because when we're distressed, we stop giving our spouse or our child eye contact. That's the number one Mm -hmm. cue of distress and annoyance and frustration. Mm is when you're so in love with your little baby and loving on your toddler, you're giving them eye contact. But then if you're frazzled, stressed, frustrated, that eye contact, boom, goes away. And everyone in the room feels it. You can't fool anyone. So when you're giving your spouse a cold shoulder, you're not giving him eye contact. And he feels it. And you're purposely doing it, but unconsciously. You're like purposely, unconsciously not giving him eye contact. I'm I'm speaking for myself. But I love touching on this nonverbal communication part because we are are primal human beings. We're primal. 
so primal. And when the person we love, whether it's a parent or our spouse, takes away eye contact, we feel it. Our nervous system feels it. And it says, danger, danger, warning, 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 connection is lost. Well, sorry to interrupt, but what are we doing to our kids with these phones? Or, or our spouse. I mean, that's a huge no eye contact. You know, issue with us is I'm, I'm talking to you and you're looking down at something else. Um, you're not giving me the respect. You're not listening to me. I'm going to leave out details because you're not really listening to me. I'm just going to quickly say this. What does that do to me? What does that do to our connection? What is, what, how is that a sign of respect? What am I going to do next to get your attention? And this is myself and children and vice versa. I know I'm not innocent, but I worry about, you know, the next generations and what they will do to get attention because their love, their elders have all been looking down or at the TV or out the window for Amazon or, you know, whatever. I mean, we're just, I, I don't know. I, I, I worry that we're honestly at the end of ourselves with all this distraction. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up because we all know what it feels like to be telling a story to someone and they're looking at the, at their phone. We know how that feels. You don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of eye contact. I'm not worthy of attention. We know how it feels between our partner, between our spouse. And that's how a child feels with phones from the parent. And I just love, I love putting ourselves in children's shoes because we are literally the same, but with, with actual fully brains, fully developed. So we should be acting better, not spazzing out, not doing silent treatment, but we're actually doing it all. And we, most of us, we're all human. And we have fully developed brains and we are emotionally manipulating with silent treatment or conditional love. Like if you do this for me, I'll do that. I'll do that for you. So that's why my tangent always is um, children are better than us. They actually are because they unconditionally love. They don't know how to condition love with conditions. They haven't learned that yet. They forgive every single day. If you were bad, if you're shitty to them, they forgive you that day, that that minute, that next day. They don't hold it against you. Spouses, though, usually hold it against. Like, if you have a fight one day, you know, a lot of people are like cold shoulder, whatever, the next day. Kids don't do that. When does the keeping score start? Yeah. Kids don't do that. Because it's that. No, but they do at some point, And I don't know when that's learned and when that starts because that is so detrimental to your nervous system, your health, your relationships. I just wish I could pinpoint when you were old enough to start keeping score, building up resentment. I noticed six-year-olds around six years old um, saying things like, I, I did this for you. You need to do this for me. I've, I've seen that. So for me, around six years old of what I've seen, and that's keeping score. Like, I did that for you. You need to do this for me. And that is, you know, mainstream parenthood. History. Yeah, what else What else do you want to speak on with motherhood and 
maybe finding your calm amidst tantrums and all of that. How do I find my calm amidst tantrums? Or do you? <laughs> um, each, well, each child is different. Um, my oldest wants to be held. She wants to, she can be having the craziest and she's so amazing at it. This is another amazing thing about kids that, that we lose. She will be in the middle of a meltdown and she will literally be screaming, I won't need you to hold me, hold me, hold me. I just think that's so amazing that she's aware of that and that she's still comfortable saying that. And I pray, 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 pray that she never stops doing that because what a gift to be, to be, feel safe enough to act. Just, just hold me what I need because how many of us just need that right when we're throwing our tantrums that's Mm -hmm. the thing with adult immaturity is is a lot of us don't have the maturity to say to like to our spouse I'm so irritated or mad at you but I want to be held okay how about this I he'll come try I'll push him away even though even though it's what I want and need I don't know yeah I, yeah, I actually see kids do that. So I think it depends on a child's personality. I have seen children in the middle of a tantrum, you know, a mom grabbing them to hug them and being like, no. And I, and I think it's personality dependent. And I, I kind of feel like that's ego revenge because when the ego's hurt, it wants revenge. And you see it with toddlers because if – someone grabs their toy, they might immediately hit or bite. And I think it's this primal revenge. And in marriage, oh man, when one partner does the olive branch and that's a vulnerable act. It's a vulnerable act to extend the olive branch. And then if the other partner pushes it away, that other partner's rejected. I'm not good at yeah. extending an olive branch. My husband, because his gift is grace, he's always extending the olive branch. And I'm so stubborn. And I don't. But I've been working on that for literally years, and I've become so much better. But I think I see it in children, and I also see it in adults, and I think it's ego. Uh, during tantrums, the one thing that I always remind myself is, Two people escalating is not going to calm this down. So I stay as calm as possible. My voice doesn't raise. I don't meet them where they are. I try to just, and I don't know, maybe this is wrong, but I just say, I hear you. I see you. That was really scary or frustrating. Let it out. Um, And sometimes I'm like, am I driving them crazy? Because I'm calm. And sometimes, you know, you want someone to get mad with you and like feel you. And I don't know, just doing my best. But I just try not to add fuel to the fire. Yeah, and I think that's only possible because you have been doing the inner work of being present with your uncomfortable feelings. So a child tantruming is very confronting. It brings up emotions in most humans. And it's the people that are willing to be present with that discomfort and willing to not project their stress onto that child that probably have the capacity to keep calm amidst the chaos. Because a lot of parents that join the chaos, 
you know, they typically probably haven't done any inner work and then they get frazzled and they just like vomit all the frazzled stress projection onto the child, which isn't helping the cause. Right. And it comes back to trust, right? I'm trusting that this little body is not doing this to make me mad or to ruin our plans or to, you know, stress me out. There is a reason. And, and, and just my, I put my nutrition hat on and I'm like, well, she's probably only had crackers and bread and juice today. So of course she's acting like this. I would act like that too. Um, had a sleepover a couple of nights ago or was with, you know, uh, someone who didn't set boundaries for a few days or whatever. It's never random or for no reason. And that I have to keep reminding myself, they're not doing this to you, right? Yeah, the ego loves to take it personal though. That's much yeah, easier. Okay, maybe the last thing let's wrap up on because you brought it up, but I love when you post on your stories about your children and food because you just brought that up because blood sugar in children is such a huge thing that people don't think about, don't talk about. Obviously, if you follow you, you know, we all know about it, but you also have, you know, kids that don't eat everything you put on their plate because they're going to be them. So what, what have you seen or what, do you, what advice do you have with parents with, in regards to blood sugar with children? Yeah. So I just try to put myself in their shoes. If I have a donut or a bagel or crackers or no breakfast or you know, um, something lacking fat protein. How am I going to handle someone taking something from me a couple hours later? Not as well as if I had been given the tools of a balanced breakfast of protein and, you know, whole real foods, blood sugar dysregulation manifests as whining, fatigue, you know, being just set off by things that you, you would normally not be set off by, um, being crabby, clingy. Think back a couple hours ago. What's the last time that they ate? What are they working with? What is their energy right now? We're not a snacky house. We're not the fun house to come over for kids. I have, I have friends that come over and they're like, where are the bars and where's all this? And I'm like, this is not the house because I want my kids running on really, really three strong meals um, because that really balances their blood sugar and, and helps them balance their, their tantrums, their emotions a little bit better. If we're running from goldfish to, you know, Z-bar to chips to whatever fancy Annie's bunnies you're asking for them to not have regular regulated emotions. It's just, it, I try to empower them or, or not empower them. I try to give them the tools whenever I can. That's just by sneaking in avocado. I lather. I mean, don't get me wrong. My kids have bagels, but they are so swimming in raw butter. I mean, there is so much butter on that because I want them to have some fat to balance that carbohydrate. Um, I'm sneaking in a hard-boiled egg. I'm sneaking in nuts. I'm sneaking in protein powder blended up with that raw milk whenever I can, just so that that next tantrum is like a little bit more, you know, regulated. But um, 
sometimes it is helpful to think back, okay, did they have a late night? And then did they eat like crap last night and this morning? Then you're understanding. You're a little more compassionate with, yeah, bud, you you are dysregulated right now. And I totally understand why. You can't have that reflection on a child if you can't do it for yourself. Because when I was vegan for a decade, I relied on carbs and I thought I had energy the whole time, but actually was on a, I was on adrenaline the whole time. Yeah. That is all. Yeah. That's it does. Really good. Oh my gosh. I have clients, my clients are like, well, why does it, I'm fine with fasting. It feels good. Yeah. Cause you're running on cortisol and that is addicting. That feels so good. That is like unstoppable mom stuff right there. That is, and it's addicting. But then it leads to. It leads to a breakdown in your hormones. You're no longer making enough progesterone. Now you're not ovulating. We need to ovulate whether you want babies or not. We don't have robust, strong hormones. We are dysregulated in emotions. We're having anxiety. We're not sleeping well. It's a terrible, terrible roller coaster to get All on. from not eating enough. Yeah. Enough. And same with children. You know, we are so similar to children. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so if we, if we can't reflect in our children, oh, Okay, yeah, you ate cracker, crackers all day. That's a blood sugar roller coaster. If we can't do that for a child, we're, we're probably not capable of doing it for ourselves. And when I was vegan, I didn't know I was on cortisol and adrenaline the whole time. I had no idea. So it's only now that I'm so fully nourished because I eat so much protein. I eat meat, you know, I eat three to four meals a day that now, only now, I have the reflection of when I haven't eaten for four hours how I start getting so cranky. I got off of a flight recently and I was walking through the airport and everything I saw in that airport annoyed me. I was like, oh my gosh, that, oh, that way that person's talking is so annoying. And I'm like, this is what being hangry is. This is what low blood sugar is. And how could you ever possibly think that you could be your best self when you have low blood sugar or you're hangry. Like nourishment and food is literally the foundation. And that's what you teach your clients. Teach to my clients, trying to teach my kids. Um, It's a fine line with kids. I'm not trying to instill fear and say this is bad. I just really lean into this is going to really help, you know, you be happy and, and, and have a stable mood and go have fun at your friend's house and and, um, or this, these carrots are really good for your eyes, or this is going to help your bones and just really lean into it. So now they're really, really interested in mommy. Does this help my, does this help my poop? Does this help my stomach? Does this help my, my ears? But will this help? Um, and a fine line with being honest with now that food's really going to make it hard for your body to make you feel really, really good. Yeah. So the language around that is really, um, difficult and and a fine line and something I'm trying to be aware of. But I think it's our responsibility to start that from an early age. Yeah, that education and also empowering parents that you don't have control over what your kid like eats at school or at birthday parties, but you have control in what food you buy at the grocery store because your kids don't have money. Your kids don't do the grocery shopping. Your kids don't have a credit card. You do. So if you don't want them eating kettle chips every meal, don't buy the kettle chips. And that goes for yep. adults too. Like I have clients they are like, well, I had this last night. I'm like, why? why? And I don't have any patience. Why is that in your house? 
why are you wasting, like you're literally throwing away money. That people are, oh, organic food's so expensive, 100% grass-fed meat, so expensive. Okay, but you're literally just flushing dollars down the drain when you buy the other crap. And when you buy alcohol, let's be honest, you're literally just wiping your yep. butt with, with your dollars. So explain to me, and that goes back to this whole victim mentality, and it's just hard for us to say that for ourselves someday, sometimes. Um, it goes for- But also for, values, because- yeah. You you are putting value on alcohol, not you, but people put value on alcohol to then spend money on it. Or you could put value on grass-fed beef and spend money on it. And it's just like, be real, be honest. Just be honest about your values and own it. There's something that my friend and I were just talking about of the pretending, the mask of, oh, I don't have money. But you spend $50 on alcohol at this meal. So just be honest that you love alcohol or you value alcohol and you don't value grass-fed beef or organic food. Just own it. Like be real. <laughs> or you're not owning yeah. your health. You have responsibility for your health. You do. I'm sorry, you do. And that is scary for people sometimes. It's scary to know that actually you played a role in that disease responsibility yeah oof and the ego does not want to take responsibility it wants to blame it wants mm -hmm. to be like no it wasn't the food it wasn't the choices that i made it was my genetics it's my genetics <laughs> and that's escaping okay. responsibility oh, and yeah but but that's where they want us they want that they want us to be, oh it's my genetics i'm a lemon you know I did nothing to do this. I, this high cholesterol is just my dad had it. It's it's what happens to me. And so this is, you know, I'm a victim and woe is me. And they're so much more comfortable in giving the responsibility to somebody else to give them the pills. And no, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. And this podcast is literally for people who are not like that, <laughs> which is why we speak on these things, because it's our life. It's our choices. It's our responsibility. You can blame your genetics. You can, you know, not take responsibility for your health. You can be a victim to your children every day. You have that free will. Like, I, yeah. I didn't take responsibility at all for that first delivery. I didn't play a role in that at all. And that makes me sad. I'm that child's mother and I didn't. I had no, I was not the driver in that seat. No responsibility. And you're the mom. You need to educate yourself. You you have to be in control of that situation. But it makes sense because our only it makes sense know. because our childhood children aren't respected for their impulses or their instincts, like creative impulses or um, even intuition with eating. You know, intuition with eating can only be possible if you're not eating chemical engineered food. Because once a child right. is eating chemical engineered food, their brain is literally hijacked. Brain and taste buds hijacked, gone. You'll never get them back. That is the one thing I'm doing sorry, with this baby. This third baby has never had a fruity, sugary pouch. He is eating salmon out of pouches, beef out of pouches, because the second he goes to the fruity, it's gone. He Once those taste buds are gone... You never get them back, and it's made to be that way. 
it's designed. It's it's ah, it's the okay. capitalist society of we need to make money from engineering this food to to overtake these taste buds of children. And that's what's really hard, I think, with parenthood with food right now is once that child is fully, you know, exposed to all that chemical engineered food, their brain is hijacked, their taste buds are hijacked, and it's a really long road. And so to empower mothers from the get-go to introduce that dense nutrient food for the first few years, at least, you know, like anything is better than nothing. I know, but that goes to, and I'm a hundred percent a victim of this. I am doing this actively. It's, it's getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. It's getting comfortable saying, no, my kid can't have that. We're not having that cake. We're, you know, telling grandparents, no, please don't take them to Chick-fil-A. I don't want to do that. I, I know. Bad. You know, they, you know, they, they're having fun and they're, and people taking care of your kids are so generous with their time. And, and then you start to think, well, 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 you know, is this really, I grew up on it. Is it really going to hurt them? Yeah. The food is different. It does hurt them. We know that. Yeah. Right. The food is different, but you know, do I want to be the mom at the birthday, at the birthday party? That's like, no, we're not having cake. It's, It's getting really comfortable with that. And in an ideal world, I would say, hell yeah, I'm that mom. But I'm not. I, I try to be like, oh, you know, they're fine because at home we eat so well and I just control what I can control and I do my best at home so that when we're out, you know, I don't have to be that way. And that's where I am right now. Thanks for bringing that up because I talked about this on another podcast with Natasha is you can only control what's in your house. Your child is their own sovereign being. And when they're at a birthday party, they are going to choose their own choices because they get to. But as long as they have that nutritional base at home, to me, that's that's all that matters because you can't control their choices. You can't control everything that goes into their their stomach. And to me, that also goes back to trust. Right. Like, And that goes back to also like, you know, when our kids at home, my husband and I bicker about this sometimes too, is if they're not hungry, I don't fight it. I am not the, you will finish this plate. You're not doing this till you finish this. You're eating four more bites. I don't play the three more bite game. No, because I, maybe they're not. Can you imagine if someone told you to sit down to eat and told you exactly yep. what you're going to eat? Yep. No, I don't want that right now. Why, why? No, you know? So I really, it's a fine line of, they're not hungry. I'm going to trust them about this right now. And I'm not going to make this a stressful situation and have them grow through life, like, my mom is so funny. She literally, 100, 100% of the time, she leaves one bite left on her, on her plate. Be- in, in vain, because her parents did the finish your plate thing. So it, 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 it all, stay, it all yeah. stays with you. And, and, and I'm just, you know, maybe sometimes I should be, uh, no, I'm just not. Like, they will eat when they are hungry. Kids are so amazing. I just watched both my kids at a birthday party last weekend. They were served ice cream and cake. Cole didn't even touch it. He just didn't, wasn't it. He wasn't into it. Wasn't into it. Tatum had some of her cake. They know they have the breaks still. Exactly. You exactly. You're not a helicopter parent. And helicopter parents with food is control because control is rooted in fear. 
So you can only control your house once they're out of your house and you control the food in your cupboards. Like, otherwise you have no control. That comes down to trust. Yeah. And I can only control, I can only control what I offer them. I can only control what I put in the house. If they want to put it in their mouths, they will. Kids eat when they're hungry. Seriously, my my cat isn't eating for much for a few weeks. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, hey, I just have to trust you. Like, it's confronting. You're losing a lot of weight. But you are a primal mammal and I'm going to trust you instead of asserting my control because I'm afraid. So to wrap up, I'm going to ask you, what season are you in currently? Like, what is on your heart right now? If I could, I can picture it. There's an image and it's literally, sounds very odd. It's not like my skin's coming off, but I'm like coming out. There's like a a visual, like I'm not coming out of my shell, but I guess I am, you know, like I'm an, an animal, just like a, I'm coming into new skin. I'm coming out of this and I'm shedding just like in the best way though. Like, um, I'm just dealing with stuff head on. And again, I had a beautiful childhood, especially on paper. There's, you know, what's that score you take when you go into therapy, like the ACE score or something for trauma. Like I, I really beautiful childhood, but still there's just still stuff that can always be faced and you can do better. I'm in a season of doing better communicating and trying to be as healthy as I can be. So I can be here as a great grandma and not only just be sitting here in the corner on medication, I want to be thriving and holding the babies and walking the streets and living vibrantly. Beautiful. Thank you, Taylor. 